yourself cozy. Okay. Say a couple things. <laughs> so I have done only one interview before, and I remember, you know, I feel like the whole like you never get like you never get used to the sound of your own voice. Mm-hmm. But I know that I was. It was my first time being interviewed, so I don't know how, I don't, we'll see how this also, goes. Also, consider conversation. Okay. Right? Okay. So, like, we'll be asking you questions, but it's not going to be, like, only you talking. This no. is part of the test. <laughs> okay. like... Hi. Uh, so, today, we're talking with Sarah Cavrock. Sarah, do you have a middle name? Elizabeth. Oh. Okay, that's cute. Sorry. <laughs> Sarah Elizabeth Cavrock. Now you can really Google her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah is, maybe, I don't think we always start like this, but maybe I'll say how I know you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know Sarah from Tough Love, and um, I would say, like, you did the first teacher training at Tough Love, and so I've really just gotten to watch you grow and blossom as a teacher as a student, even though you were practicing for a long time before that. But the, mm-hmm. I guess that was probably like really when I got to know you. Yeah. Maybe. And I remember the very first time that I met you was before Tough Love even had the space that we have mm-hmm. over here. In fact, mm-hmm. it was in the old Youngblood spot yeah. in, the, in the gallery in the back. Yeah. And I had actually taken a, a, a yoga break where I hadn't, I hadn't come to the studio in a couple months. And I think it was probably just because of grad school and I was busy and like, yoga became just like sort of dropped off and was less of a priority as I was trying to finish my dissertation or in that process at some mm-hmm. point. And, uh, and I remember coming back and you hadn't entered the, the life of the studio yet. And I came in and I was like, who is this new person? Like, who is this, <laughs> who's this new teacher? And, yeah. um, but I remember it was, it was at the old young blood space. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I started teaching in August or so or July or something of, 2012, and then the first class of the new space was that November. Yeah. So yeah, memories with Jolene. Mm. Oh, Jolene, I totally <laughs> forgot about her. She was sassy. Three-legged cat. <laughs> Three-legged cat. Did you ever come to classes? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't come to Tough Love until they were definitely in the new studio. Yeah. So when we were at the back of Youngblood, it was like very DIY very fun mm-hmm. and Jolene would just be there and I'm allergic to I love that name cats. by the way mm-hmm. yeah she was three like a black start cat singing. Yeah, yeah Dolly and like she would just like be on your mat and Shavasana if I ever tried to put her away cause like yeah at that point I was still like would be really like allergic like my skin would itch a lot uh-huh. after I taught because she, <laughs> her hair was like mm-hmm. uh, she just like was there you know like um, so at first I thought you were talking about a teacher named Jolene who would make you do a pose called three-legged cat. Oh. So thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Very different scenario. Yeah, totally different. So this is an actual cat An named actual Jolene. cat. Yeah, she was, like, she was like the gallery kitty. Mm-hmm. And she would, yeah, if you tried to put her away, she would just like meow. Like She would. Yeah, she did not she had attitude. like to be. No, she did not like to be in the bathroom. So it's like cat yoga before it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Maybe she'd scratch you. <laughs> or she would swat at you. She would bring her claws yeah. out, and she, if you tried to push her off your mat, oh yeah, just like oh no, this is my mat. I want to yeah, be here. Totally. So you would just have to like do your down dogs and lunges around her. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, I love it. it was pretty like key to the tough love experience. It was. I feel. Uh, and those were the days when like Netta was signing us in with like the handwritten like binder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a big part of my job. Like I was like. 
streamlined. Yeah, yeah. We didn't quite go digital, but there was like, you know, checks and bounce. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, okay, yeah. So cool. Sarah's here. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um I have no idea when I met you. It's probably going to Tough Love, but also just kind of following your adventures and what you're up to because you're always um, up to something different. I'm, I'm always up to I something. I love it. No, so it's, it's been fun to like follow from a distance, and, and I'm excited that I get to ask all my questions now. Yes. yes. Yeah, please do. Okay, what's your first question? Oh, gosh, first question. Um, oh. Well, so you were teaching at Tough Love for a while, mm-hmm. and then you picked up and moved to Costa Rica. Yes. What was that like? <laughs> and how did you do it? And um, share your experience. Yeah, so um, picking up and leaving was definitely a process in and of itself. And I'll say that uh, once I finished with grad school, I, I had gone through my yoga teacher training the last nine months of finishing my PhD program. Which so I was wild. Yeah, I don't so, know. I don't, I don't even know how that happened, actually. I don't know how I finished my dissertation and did teacher training like at the same time. Out. Like, <laughs> and what did you study? What was your PhD in? Uh, cognitive sciences. Cool. So I was going to school at Georgia State. I was at the end of my program, and I had been practicing yoga for, at that time, 12 years, and I loved the practice, or else I wouldn't have stuck with it for as long as I had, and I decided to take Netta's first training. So I didn't even know that traveling and teaching was a thing until it came to me from two different people. One was someone who was in training with me and her name is B. And I remember her oh. saying to me something about, hey, did she you felt, know? Yeah. She's like, hey, did you know that you can, um, you can like offer to teach at like resorts spaces and like, like off on like islands and beaches and stuff like that? Did you know that you can offer to teach and you can stay there for free? And I was like, really, that's a thing? And she was like, oh yeah, someone was telling me about it. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I started Googling it and I was like, oh my God, this is like totally a thing. But like I was still in school and I was still in training and I was like, hey, something I'll keep in mind for the future if I ever want a vacation like on a budget, right? And then we were in training and I remember it was actually Danny Purvis. And she said that she wanted to uh, travel and teach yoga and use yoga like as her currency because you can do trades. And I was like, yeah, like that sounds like an amazing idea. And so those seeds had kind of been planted in me before I ever took my first trip anywhere to teach. But I distinctly remember those two points. It was like my exposure to knowing that like this was even a thing that people did. Um, And a small sidebar, which is to say that the desire to travel has always been in me. Like that wanderlust Mm -hmm. is just something that um, I've really grown up with. And I, but I had believed that teaching as a professor in my discipline was my route to travel. Mm -hmm. Like I just believed when I was done with grad school that I would leave Atlanta and I would go to like you know, somewhere in the UK or something like that. And I would teach at a university for a couple of years. And then I would do that in different locations. And and then after that, I'm not, I wasn't sure, but I knew that I wanted to travel. Um, and that's not what ended up happening because I ended up taking some space for my discipline because I felt like grad school was just pretty stressful. And in my opinion, unnecessarily so. Right. And um, I just wanted something that was not that for a little while, but I wasn't quite sure what my path was going to be because I knew that I didn't want to be a professor anymore, even though that was the reason why I got into grad school. Why I entered that program was to become a researcher and professor. 
So I was actually at that point just kind of confused and uh, uncertain about what life path I was going to take. But I knew that I loved yoga and I was going through the, the training and I was loving that process. And I was practicing teaching and I was loving that. And I was loving that rush that you get when you first start teaching. And I was loving the feedback from, from the students. And even when I was on campus teaching classes, I knew um, that I enjoyed the engagement with the students, but I just knew that it wasn't that teaching psychology, teaching statistics, that content area was not where I saw my teaching future. So all that to say that like leading up to the to, to me leaving Atlanta, all these pieces were kind of already in me. It was just a matter of in what way were those pieces going to click together right they, like would, it, they would take me on the road like it um like you had a certain vision of it but the actual um how it took place wasn't in line with the vision per se but the key elements were there totally yeah yeah that's that's exactly right um so uh, let me think I don't remember exactly when our graduation was from teacher training. Was it in the- I think it was May. Okay, so it was the summer. So you guys started January. Okay, so it was like a five to six month thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I graduated in December of that year. And from then- State. Yes, and then it wasn't, and that was 2013. So at that point, I immediately jumped into teaching as much as I could. And I was just picking up any class that I could. And then I took like a part-time research job just to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And because I really wanted to pursue teaching yoga. It was at the, it was December of 2014. So the following year that I went to Costa Rica for the first time. And I remember when I found out that I got accepted to teach, I walked into the studio for a class and it was you and um, uh, Octavia. And yeah, and I remember saying, I remember looking at you and going, I just found out that I got accepted to teach at this really great like eco village in the rainforest and I really want to go, but I'm not sure if I should. And I'm feeling really nervous, but also really excited. And I was just, you know, I was kind of doing that thing. And both of you looked at me and at the exact same time, they were like, yeah, like you need to go, like go, like this needs to happen. And um, so that's when, I, that's when I went for the first time. And so at that point, I wasn't sure if I was like going, like intending on leaving forever. I just knew that I wanted to try out what this was all about, traveling and teaching. Um, and it was also my first time traveling internationally alone. So I was also like, what's that going to be about? Um, Ooh, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, so I did that for the first time and it was a beautiful experience beautiful. Um, and where did you go? So I went to a place called Rancho Margot mm-hmm. and it was, um, in the middle of Costa Rica in the rainforest. And it was, um, a completely off the grid eco lodge or eco, eco ranch. And, um, and don't they do, I, cause I feel like I have another friend who went there and is not a yoga instructor, but she did some kind of trade yes. to work there. Yeah. So all the food, so it's, it's in a remote area. So any guests that stay in like their bungalows, um, you also, it's like a, pa- it's like a package situation. Cause there's no like restaurants to go out to like that doesn't, you're in the middle of nowhere. So you have to like, you stay there and you eat there and then you can do adventures and hikes and different things. So all the food that they cook in the kitchen for the guests, as well as the workers and then the volunteers all come from the ranch. Cool. So people go there and do work trade for yoga and they do farming there and, um, uh, it's permaculture actually. So I actually did a crossover of things. Uh, so I did a little bit of gardening and then I would teach yoga as well. So I did a little bit each day. Cool. So I did that for the first time and then I came back 
And, you know, being... How long were you there? For, I was there for a full month. And then cool. I took, like, an extra week and just vacationed um, on, in, like, a, in, like, the beachy areas. Like, I went west and went to Manuel Antonio for, like, a week mm-hmm. and just, like, hung out and just embraced Played that. Played with the monkeys. It was amazing. <laughs> and then I returned. And I will say that um, the stark contrast between the pace of life, between what I was doing, where I was living, who I was around, had a significant impact on me at that time. And I felt so fulfilled there. Like I just felt like my heart was full and I felt completely transformed when I walked out of that jungle than, than the person who walked into it. I was completely different. In what ways? <clears throat> I was going through some emotional, personal stuff at that time. And I was needing some healing from some things. And I remember walking into that jungle just feeling like the brokenness of the, the experiences that I was working with at that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out of it going, like, I feel whole. Like, I, I felt broken when I walked in and I felt whole coming out. And that, like, feeling that and, and being able to see it with clarity was such a beautiful, like, um, it was such a beautiful observation. And to be honest, I really attribute it, um, I really attribute it to the rainforest. Like, I really attribute it to the land. Like, the healing that can happen when you're that deep in, like, Mother Nature, mm-hmm. in her purest of forms. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, I might also offer that it had something to do with you doing it on your own. Like, I think there's something very powerful mm-hmm. about a, a woman, or really anyone, who is brave enough to go try something on their own and kind of prove it to themselves that they can survive and um, learn and have these experiences and that you're mm-hmm. capable. Yeah. That's that's something that I think comes, I have experienced through travel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and uh, of course, obviously being in a beautiful healing environment. Certainly. Probably helps. Yeah, maybe something about like self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. At least it's like, how I would describe it and that experience and uh, knowing that so much of what we're conditioned to do as women is to take care of other people. So what changes when you're literally on your own mm-hmm. and you're your only responsibility Yeah, and you can track what's going on with you a hundred percent. Like what's that like? Well, and yet at the same time, I recognized that, I was so incredibly vulnerable while I was there, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was relying on that community for my food. Mm-hmm. I was relying on it for my friendships and my sociability because I didn't go there with anyone. I was relying on the volunteers and the 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 local people that were that are from Costa Rica that were working there to become like essentially like my family and my friendships. I was reliant on them for my ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. My, I know a little bit of Spanish, but it wasn't enough to really communicate everything that I would have needed to. And so I was relying on the other volunteers to help me translate some of the local people that also knew English. Like I was very much reliant on them for my sustenance at that time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and really also like I let the, I let the land hold me. Like I really let her hold me because I had nothing to give myself at that time. You know what I mean? Like it was providing me everything. And I feel like there was something really special about accepting that level, that level of vulnerability and just saying like, okay, like really receiving, like really allowing yourself to be in that space so that everyone, so that you can fully receive what's being offered to you. And I'm not sure up to this point, up to that point, I'd have I'd ever had even an opportunity to experience something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I certainly didn't realize that's what was going to be happening when I entered that part of my journey. Um, but there's, there's definitely a relationship there to like the healing, the land and the vulnerability. Like there's something, I don't know what that equation yeah. looks like, but well, there's something and, happening like, there. Letting yourself, because this is interesting. It's a little bit different from what I said before, but like letting yourself trust Mm-hmm. that the universe is taking care of you, that mm-hmm. the community, that the land is taking care of you, mm-hmm. even though you're also proving to yourself that you're self-sufficient, but yeah. trusting that the universe is conspiring in your favor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there was a definite, like, sort of uh, flavor of magic happening. And I, I and it's just a feeling. Like, it's mm-hmm. just a feeling of when you're there, it feels not, it, it feels unreal, you know? Um, and there was a, a distinct like feeling of magic, like something really, um, something really special and something completely intangible. But the feeling that stars aligned mm-hmm. to bring, to bring things together for, I don't know, for those, for, for that healing to happen and for that experience to have occurred and to have met the people that I met there, you know? So I have a question about that sure. because I would adapt that to some degree that happens in our everyday life, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> but what it, what what is it about being, is it just like kind of being removed from your life mm. so that you have the opportunity to see that? Or like, what do you think about that? I'm just curious. Hmm. Oh, I kind of think a lot of things about that. It's such a, <laughs> no, it's such a good question. I love that that's your question. Um, yeah, I think it's happening all the time. And to the degree that we are in tune with the voice that lives inside of us, right? The voice of our inner wisdom, you can call it like the soul, if that language feels good to you. If it doesn't feel good to you, you can just call it like your wise older self that lives in you or like your intuition, whatever whatever verbiage work makes the most sense. To the extent that you're, that you're tapped in, listening, you know what, like that voice sounds like to you, yes. Like the opportunities for that alignment with what's going on astrologically, what's going on in, in like out in the universe has absolutely the, the opportunity to impact you. But I feel like certainly living in a city environment, there's so many distractions and there's so many other uh, ways to get disconnected from that place within myself because I'm so connected to everything else, mm-hmm. which is like um, my phone, <laughs> the computer, yeah. just just like really a, a, any the pace the, and the pace. Oh my gosh, for sure the pace of life. Um, and I think uh, it's it's a lot more difficult in an environment, in a city environment, where there's and and for me as a person that's involved in lots of things, and I'm like, oh, I want to be, I, and I I, I want to maintain my commitments to all these people and all these projects that I'm involved in, and I want to make sure that I show up to my yoga practice, and I've got to call this person back, and I said I would, you know, help set up for this party, and and what my inner wisdom really wants is just to like find some stillness, but I've, but there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. So yes, the opportunity is there, and it seems like it's just so much easier when I'm not in this environment and when I'm removed from all of those things that really are positive and fruitful events or or activities, but take me out of that place of stillness and like that center point. And so if I go into nature, uh, whether it's like the mountains or the jungle, or like I go to the beach or like wherever it is, I find that when I'm there, I'm most connected 
to the thing that I am, which is part of nature. Mm-hmm. And last night I went to the opening night of Chantlanta, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily cool. an event that I go to every year, but I happened to go last night and very unexpectedly, a Native American elder came and spoke for like the first 10 minutes. And I was blown away and I was like, this is a person I've known about and actually had been wanting to like have a conversation with or like mm-hmm. go to one of his like sacred sweat ceremonies. And he- Is it Tom Bluthrout? Blue Wolf. Blue Wolf. Yeah. I thought there was a, okay, cool. Anyway, he was there and he spoke and he s- yeah, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a desert. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong side of the country. Yeah. No, no Sorry. worries. Um, and he was just talking about how um, we we need to um, move into a place where we're speaking from our hearts because really we are nature and we need to be representatives of nature. And he said so many amazing, like, wise things, like every, and he was, he was talking so like off the cuff, just so like, just speaking whatever was moving through him. And I was like, I need to get all this down because this is like so wise. I need to record everything. Yeah. Actually, I had my phone out and I was like typing furiously and I'm like, hoping my phone doesn't autocorrect wrong. And I'm like, I'd be so upset. Anyway, one of the, I have so many things written down that I'm, I'll have to share with you at some point. But um, one of the things he said that I had, that I, that just hit me so in such a love way was just that um, that we have to be representatives of nature and um, and that's exactly what I feel when I'm in a place that is so pure because I feel like I am nature I am one with nature and like I can feel like I'm breathing you know like I'm feel like I'm breathing with like the heartbeat of the earth or like a heartbeat with the land and like to then feel like I'm and, and then to come back and feel disconnected from that mm-hmm. it's really hard for me um, and so that feeling is when I ended up going back to Costa Rica the second time mm-hmm. and it didn't have to be going back to Costa Rica it could have could have been to any really any other country that would have had me as a teacher it just happened to um, a line that of all the places that I applied to go teach, um, one of the, you know, the one that accepted me was also back in Costa Rica, just in a different part of the country. Cool. And so at that point, I really hadn't intended on like moving, moving to that country in particular. I really had just set off on a, what I thought was going to be a lengthy journey of like entering community, accepting their hospitality. I would teach yoga for trade and then I would stay there for one, two, three months and then move on. And then I would go to like the next spot. And then I would like do the same thing, accept hospitality, learn about their community, um, learn about their traditions and customs. And then I would teach, teach this practice that I love so much. And then I would keep doing that. And that's not what ended up happening and that's okay. Um, but that was the initial um, like leap that I took. Cool. So the second place you went, where was that? So that was on the Caribbean coast. So that was all the way to the east. And that was in a town called Puerto Viejo. Cool. And I was there for three, three, three and a half months. And it's just a lovely community of people that, um, that live there, both the locals and the expats that have just like made their home there. And I'm still in communication with quite a few of them. And cool. Yeah, there's, there's places you'll go where, uh, especially for a country that's built so heavily on, or the economy is built so heavily on tourism, mm-hmm. depending on which little town you go to, or like, especially like little beach town, there isn't necessarily a sense of community there. It's like there's a lot of locals there that work there and make their living there, but they're not necessarily like unified as a community. But in Puerto Viejo, it's very much like that. 
everyone knows each other and like the women's community in particular had a significant impact on me cool. and so it's just really unified and supportive and protective and very loving and it was a really lovely experience i feel like you've talked to me a lot about the women's community mm. and that particular experience so i want to hear you talk about that and mm-hmm. i want to share something which like i might fuck it up something <laughs> about like the rainforest and like really connecting to your breath so i heard something um and the training that i did with sean corn and holly corey and suzanne sterling who's the woman that does a lot of like voice work and um connecting to nature and she says something about like one out of ten of every like breath that we take comes from this like one rainforest in south america mm-hmm. and i don't know how that science comes about like how you decide that but she was like because of how like lush it is and populated oh, it is and like the how pure trees, yeah like how pure it is that like Ooh. one of every 10 breaths comes from like I love that down in one area and i think it might have been nicaragua but not costa rica but anyways it just mm-hmm. reminded me like when you talked about like your breath mm-hmm. and connecting to that like i was like when she said that i was like what like that's crazy yeah. like mm-hmm. everyone in the world one of the 10 breaths that, like everyone in the world takes comes from like down there so. Yeah, whoa, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I dig that. Yeah. I'm going to remember that. It's cool to yeah. consider, like, oh, in my 10 breaths. Like, but it also is, like, a reminder, like, why that land is so sacred, yeah. you know, and, like, why we need to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Central America or South America? It was, sorry, South. Okay, so it's probably just central. probably from the Amazon then. I think it was somewhere in Nicaragua, but I don't remember. Well, that's Central. Is uh, it? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Central. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Anyway, still, it's pretty incredible that. that it would have that far reach mm-hmm. yeah. worldwide. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's something, too, about, and it kind of sounds like what you were talking about with the, it reminds me a little bit about what you were talking about with the community, how you would go and receive their hospitality. And we don't realize that, um, like even our existence is dependent upon the coexistence of trees, like our breath, like mm-hmm. exactly what you were talking about, being able to uh, receive that and be in a place that's so rich and full of it. Um, right. Well, I mean, like the earth, I mean, she's offering us her hospitality, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so we're always receiving it. We're always receiving it to the extent. kindly to, or well, un- right. Exactly. To the extent that we can acknowledge that she is a living organism offering us something, we can be in relationship to her. And to the extent that we don't care about any of that and we think that we are here to just dominate and take over and destroy because we need more, mm-hmm. you know, she's going to get destroyed and, and we're going to have to... Um, there's going to be consequences mm-hmm. for that. And it, it, like, hurts my soul. Like, it just hurts. It hurts a lot to feel that like I feel because I feel in such relationship to the earth uh I can I hmm, uh like my healing is her healing and vice versa and her pain is my pain because like we are we are like my breath you know it's like like you were saying like her breath cycles in through me and then back out and so like whatever she's experiencing as am I um so yeah we have to be representatives of what she is. Mm-hmm. Or we don't. And I feel like we don't, if, if we don't choose to live within that, then there's a level of um, abundance and vibrancy that we'll just never reach. Yeah. You know? And like massive misalignment. 
remember, right? Like you kind of brought that up. Go into nature to get aligned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then you're disconnected from everything else, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like the whole like stars aligning thing, perhaps you've missed the cue, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're just floating around lost. Just floating around. Yeah. Talk to us about the women's things. Sure. So my... Um, like initial like um, introduction even into what that's all about? Question mark? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, because you said that when you went to Puerto. We're like, yeah. When you, you said that when you went to Puerto Viejo that you had just like, yes. that was central to your experience. I'm like just asking for you to share. Yes, absolutely. Okay. About like your second experience okay. in Costa Rica, but also just like, yeah, what does that mean so the day that I arrived was the day that another woman arrived who was teaching at the same yoga studio where I was teaching. Um, but she does some other work in addition to yoga and she holds women's circles. She does other women's work as well. And so we're both teaching at the studio and it's a small community and it's a close knit community. Uh, the place where I was teaching and also like volunteering, cause I was volunteering at a hostel as well. So I was kind of doing a couple of things at that time was connect that those two places were connected to kind of like the best local coffee shop. And so, um, you know, coffee is such a point of congregation. Mm -hmm. And so every day, pretty much everyone at some point during the day, everyone from the town would come to this coffee shop to either get the chocolate or to get the coffee or to go take a yoga class. So you're just seeing the same people every day. And so there's like lots of opportunities to make friendships. It was really cool. No, no. (laughs) And, and like literally right across the street was the Caribbean. And so I would sit there like doing my hours for the hostel and I would, I'm just watching the water. Like I'm just sitting there watching the water. Yoga's happening upstairs. Coffee's happening behind me. People are just coming and going. It was beautiful. It's beautiful. Anyway, so lots of chances to like see people on the daily, make friends with them, chat with them. And so, um, so this woman who is, shows up the same day as me, also teaching yoga. She also does women's circles. And what she began offering there was something called a sacred cacao ceremony. And, um, cacao is the plant from which we get chocolate. And, um, it's a like a Mayan, it's like an indigenous Mayan ceremony where you drink. It's essentially like a hot chocolate drink, but the cacao is pretty concentrated. And so you would drink this in cir- like literally in a physical circle with other people. And then you would do some things. You would say some things and you might chant some things. And you might sing and you might meditate and you might do some other things. But um, she started offering these ceremonies um, to anyone, but then she would do separate ones for just women and she was doing them every single week and each ceremony lasted like three hours. And so for the time that I was there every week that I could, and I pretty much did it every week, um, I would go to this cacao ceremony with all these women. And it was usually a small group of like, you know, maybe on average like six of us. Mm-hmm. And so we would just sit on this beautiful sunny porch in the middle of the day from like one to 4 p.m. And we would drink our cacao and we would just talk and we would sing and we would, um, you know, we would just hold space for each other. and. I saw just an incredible amount of transformation in myself and I watched it happen to the other women that would show up each week. And it could be just like emotional transformation. Like they were dealing with something at the beginning that they mentioned and then by the end there was a resolution mm-hmm. or something in their life had evolved. And when it was time for me to leave that town after I had fulfilled my commitment to teach at the yoga studio and then volunteer at the hostel, I left and went to a different part of Costa Rica to do some other volunteering. And I immediately just like felt the loss of that community. 
like the support that it provided and really the heart opening experience of the plant of cacao. You know, and it's called a sacred plant because literally the cacao is a vasodilator. So it opens up the channels of your physical heart and at the same time opening up your anahata, your heart chakra. So you're opening up your physical heart, you're opening up your heart chakra, that energy space, and you're doing it in communion with other people in a physical circle who are opening up their hearts. And so you're sitting and you're connecting to each other's open hearts for three hours once a week. It's beautiful and you're in like the deep jungle and you've got the water on one side and the mountains on the other and it's just totally pure. And then I left and I was like, whoa, that was, that was big, that was important. And now I don't have it anymore. I've got to get that again. <laughs> I need that. Well, aren't you, um, this is kind of a good feed into, well, aren't you creating things now in Atlanta? Yes. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. I, I mean, I only see from a distance what you're creating. It seems really cool, but I'd love to hear more about it. Totally. So I um, left that town. I went to a different town in Costa Rica. Um, I wasn't teaching. I was doing some other things. And ultimately, that wasn't a good fit for me, so I had to leave. Or I chose to leave. Um, and, but I, at the same time I was going through some physical things. I had gotten some parasites from traveling, which is something that just happens sometimes. And I actually just needed some medical care. So I returned to the States. Uh, and I, yeah, no, I really needed, I really needed some help. And, and where I was at, um, there was less English speakers and my Spanish was not good enough to describe what was happening to me. And, uh, so actually it was a good decision that I came home uh, to the States at that time. So now this was only like a month and a half after I had left Puerto Viejo. And so I'm still like in the middle of me going through this physical stuff, I'm still processing all the emotional stuff that had happened in Puerto Viejo that was really good and beautiful. And I was like, well, I really miss those women's circles. I should just try and find another one. Maybe, they, maybe they're happening here, like somewhere in the States. Maybe they're happening in Atlanta. I went back to Pittsburgh, which is where my family is and visited them for a little while. So I was just kind of doing some research. I was like, no one's doing anything like this. Like no one, nothing like that in its particular form. But there's gotta be something going on. So I came across this project called the Wild Woman Project that trains people, trains women to hold monthly women's circles on the new moon. And I just kind of did a little bit of research about, about the project and I really liked it. I really liked um, like their mission and I really liked, it seemed really aligned with what I was hoping to find, but there wasn't one of those circles in Atlanta and there wasn't one in Pittsburgh. And those were the two places where I had people and I could have just certainly picked another city and hopped to there, but Atlanta has always been a welcome home to me. So I decided to come back to Atlanta at least for a little while and figure things out before I figured out what my next move was. And um, so I couldn't find a circle. And so I was like, you know, maybe I should create a circle. If I can't find what I want, then just create the thing that I want. So I contacted the woman who started this project and basically said like, I wanna take your next training. And I did. And it was like an eight week process. And it was a beautiful, uh, it was a remote experience, but um, there were like lots of like, like video call in and you got to talk to the other people that were in the training. And it was, it was, it was great actually, it was a really, um, yeah, it was a really great experience. And so after I finished that training, I decided to start my own circle. And so that's what I've been doing here in Atlanta. And so um, every month on the new moon or like the Saturday that's closest to the new moon, we congregate and we come together as women and we sit in circle. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a process to the ritual, to the ceremony that we go through, but it's about a two and a half hour event. And we don't do cacao. Um, I feel like, I, 
I've considered offering that, but I feel like um, it's something that, the sacredness of that ceremony is something that probably needs to remain in the land where that sacred plant comes from. And by someone who was like inducted into that mm -hmm. ceremony by the people that created it. And I didn't feel like just because I had experienced it, it was right for me to then take it off the land and then say, I'm gonna offer this sacred thing. No one, no one might know, but I would know. Right. And it didn't feel like it was an, an honoring enough to that ceremony and that plant it's to a, just take it away from yeah, it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's a little bit like someone who goes to a yoga class and thinks, okay, now I'm going to teach yoga. Yeah. Rather than going to their teacher, learning from their teacher, getting that training before they yeah. can hold space for people. Totally. And um, and I also think particular, particularly for the cacao ceremony, not the women's circle, but the cacao ceremony piece, a lot of these things are handed down, mm -hmm. like from an elder and it's like, okay, we are giving you, like, you have that gift and we are, you know, showing you how to then offer it to the people that are coming after you. And to not have gone through that, just, it didn't feel right. Even though, yes, it was some, I would love for everyone to experience it because it's so beautiful. But, um, you know, go there. <laughs> go there. It's going to be a lot more special if you do it on the land where that plant was grown. Anyway, um, so that's something I would love to do, but i um, probably not going to do that. At least right now, if something happens in the future, we'll see. Mm -hmm. But um, but but I do hold women's circles every month, and um, it's it it's it's its own organism. The circle is has a life of its own, meaning that like the women that come are like the cells in the body, you know, kind of like the bees in a beehive are not necessarily. I mean, they are individual bees, but they they themselves are not the organism. It's the hive that's the organism. The hive is the body, and the bees are just the cells in the body. Like that, like that analogy. Um, I feel like the women are like the cells of this organism of the circle. The whole is greater yeah. than the sum of the Than each of the individual parts, yeah. yeah. The sum of the individual parts. Cool. Yes. Where do you hold these? Currently, we're holding them at Candler Park Yoga f until June, but we've really hopped around. We've had several different homes. For the majority of last year, it was at Mystic Lotus Yoga, mm -hmm. and you know, Jessica is just just like a wonderful person, and she was really sweet to to let us be there for about eight months. And because we had like a stable home for that amount of time, I mean, we grew pretty pretty nicely. Like we, we were just. Yeah, she just really allowed us to be there and held space for us to be there. And so I'm really grateful for her, um, to her for that. Um, the first month of this year, we were at Tough Love. We're at Candler Park for the next five months, so until June. And then after that, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, that's what's happening right now. Yeah, that's kind of nice, though, to be able to... Um, I think there's something nice about... you. Probably each community you come into, you you grow a little bit, mm -hmm. and then it, it becomes this, like, moving community. I kind of like that yeah. concept. So um, you're currently not teaching yoga. I'm currently not teaching asana. Asana, yes. but good clarification. Well, I only clarified <laughs> to say that, like, when we do the women's circles, um, there's me there's meditation in three different at three different time points within each ceremony or each ritual circle. And yeah, like it's breath work, it's, it's, it's going inward. And so in that way, I feel like I, do, I am teaching yoga, mm -hmm. but it's just not the asana portion. Right. Although I did teach an asana class when I was in Guatemala recently. And that was the first like asana, like movement yoga class I had taught in about a year's time, which was weird because it was like, teaching the asana was like so my thing for like three and a half years. I was like, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna be that yoga teacher. And then I just haven't, I just, I, there were lots of reasons why I stopped. Like a or I hit the pause button on that. 
Um, but yeah, I went. I, I did teach an Austin class. Well, recently, and but. you don't have to share if you don't want to. But um, I'm curious. Like, what were some of the motivations to cut back from? teaching the asana practice because I think it's the reason I ask is I think it's a reality that a lot of yoga teachers experience at some point um the realities of what that's like and so obviously you don't have to share everything if there's something really personal but um I'd love to hear just so that yeah people can know or if they're experiencing it kind of know that they're not the only one experiencing some of the challenges. Yeah, and I've always found that to be really important for me. I'm like, is this unique to me that I didn't end up reaching the the end goal that I wanted to reach? Um, at least right now, or mm-hmm. like in the moment that I wanted to reach it, or to be at that place. After I came back from traveling, well, <clears throat> I set out on my journeys and just did not have a ton of money under my belt. I was coming out of grad school. I had to live up while I was in grad school was living very, very simply just to make ends meet because I couldn't keep taking out loans. So I didn't have a lot of money behind me. I had a little bit in savings, but really not very much at all. So after I had done traveling and then like, you know, international flying is like a little bit expensive. And then I had medical things happening. I didn't have any money left. Mm -hmm. And I already knew that before I left the country, I was running all over town, teaching any class that was offered to me, teaching privates at 5.30 a.m. because, you know, privates, you get, they're the money makers. Um, I was still teaching a part-time job that was not yoga related and I was like, just making it. Mm -hmm. And I was just exhausted from that pace. And so one of my main reasons for leaving was just to slow down. I just couldn't keep going at that level. Because so I wasn't. How many classes were you teaching at that point? I think I was teaching eight or nine public classes, and then I was teaching one private a week, and then I had a twenty-hour a week part-time job. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a lot. Like yeah, that, was a lot. that was a lot. It's a lot, and I was like just making my bills. Yeah. Like maybe a little bit more than than like just making the bills, but. Um, and there's the caveat of. When you're teaching, often you're teaching at times when everyone else is off. Like Saturday and Sundays might be a busy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you might not have that scheduled recovery time Mm -hmm. that a lot of people have built into their work life. The regular, like, work rhythm of 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, like... Yoga teachers have the opposite. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so I, I'm, and I, so I'm not even sure if I actually had even one designated day a week where I didn't have an obligation to something. Right. And I, that was that's hard for any person. Yeah. And I was, I don't want to use the words burning out, but I just couldn't keep going at that pace. I was like probably on the path to burning out, and so I was like, I'm not thriving. This is this is not me thriving. I don't want to just survive. I certainly need to survive, but I don't just want to survive. Even mm-hmm. though teaching, I'm a, I, I, I at that time believed very much that it was my dharma. And I also just enjoyed it. Um, and so, um, I, so I, I left. I was like, I need something different. I leave. Lots of things transpire. I come back and um, I'm just had to be very realistic with myself. I had no money. I had just returned from traveling. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back out again simply because of the physical illnesses that I had, like just the sickness. And I was like, is this going to happen again? And it was a little bit traumatic, to be honest with you, to be so sick. And I I had gotten sick with parasites several times. That doesn't happen to everyone. Like there's a lot of traveling yoga teachers. 
um, that like that probably does not happen to. This was my unique experience. So I don't want to say like if you travel, this is what to, you know. I don't want to. Put, put, I don't want to put that stamp on it. Right. But just to say this was my experience. So I was like, you know, I tried it. It didn't necessarily go how I planned. I kind of just need to regroup. And I was like, but if I try and take this back on again, teaching yoga that is full time, I know exactly what it's going to entail because I tried doing it before. I don't. I don't want to have to hustle. I don't want to have to hustle like this to just make ends meet or barely. And so I was like, I've got to do something different. Like something's got to shift. So um, this was just the just the realistic part of me that just went, you need to get a full-time job. Like you need to get a full-time job. And by the way, you have a PhD. So you should probably, <laughs> you should probably. You worked really hard. For and that. I worked really hard to get that PhD. So I should probably do something with it and make more money than whatever it was that I was making that was barely paying my cell phone bills, my rent and food, and like, and just get in a better, more stable financial position before I do anything else. Because I didn't want to keep climbing uphill or like just getting my head above water, or like, you know, like when you're drowning in bills and you're, you know what I mean? And you, you can't even like, you're just making, you know, like I just didn't want that for myself yeah. anymore. So totally. I said, so I just kind of sat with myself and said, okay, what do you want for yourself? And I wanted financial freedom. I wanted financial freedom and I loved teaching yoga, but like it wasn't, I had, I had gone full steam ahead for three and a half years and it wasn't happening. And so I had to just, that long? yes. Like with your travel and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because I mean, I truly, I started teaching before my training, like after like the second month of training, I was already teaching. I was teaching for free, but I was still teaching. Totally. So, so that was early in 2013. And so, yeah, so 2013, 2014, 2015, and then 2016 last year, I didn't teach really at all. Right. So it was three, okay, it was three years, not three and a half, three. No, same. I did yeah. the same thing. I yeah. just was like, whoa, like time was just <laughs> weird. So I just was like, whoa, is that how long it was? Yeah. I know. And so I think like, I look at, I've looked, so one, I had to be real, realistic with myself. What do you need right now? Yeah. And unfortunately, like some people have um, family structures that can help support them at times like this. Regrettably, mine is not like that. Um, some people have spouses that can help support. I don't have a spouse. Some people just happen to have a lot of savings and that was not my case either. So realistically, I had no other options but to just like get a full-time job. I could have jumped back into teaching, but it wasn't gonna pay my rent, (laughs) you know? So so there was just very like practical things that I had to be honest with myself about. Well, and I think something that you've shown throughout your entire story is the ability to, like Rachel was saying, shift and to recognize that this is maybe a shift, but it doesn't mean that another shift can't happen in the future. Exactly. Totally. And I think that's a huge thing for people to recognize. And you still have all of your experience and you're still teaching yoga in in this fulfilling new way. So I think that's something that will be inspiring to a lot of people who are listening to hear that there are ways to be fulfilled and meet your needs. Mm-hmm. And it can always change forms. Well, yeah. To the extent that we are engaged in life and not just present, like if we're just, we can just go through life and not really be in it, right? Like we can just get up and go to work and come home and there's nothing wrong with that. But to what extent are you really engaged in the process of living? And if we, 
are engaged in the process of living, then at some point you're gonna to get to that mental recognition of life is change, life is evolution. And if I'm in relationship to life, then I am evolving as life is living through me and evolving through me. So to the extent that I'm aware of that process and engaged with it and in relationship to it, then yeah, it's always gonna shift. Everything is always shifting. There's moments that you don't want to shift because they're so dang good. And then there's things that are really bad. And you're like, please, yes. I'm ready for the change, yeah. you know? And so like, you're ready for that shift. Um, but shoot, lost my train of thought. Go ahead. It might, might come back. Well, I was just thinking that like, there's a really interesting conversation here about what it looks like to be a yoga teacher. And mm -hmm. Jessica, I know like we've talked about this, like, how can we be really honest about the financial challenges and like what it is that makes us able to do this? You know what I mean? Like, and I told you this, Sarah, but conversations with you and talking with other newer teachers was like such a impetus for me trying to figure out like, what, can I create something that supports this community? Mm -hmm. Like, because there's so many people who have something to share and how can I create a platform that like, just supports yoga teachers mm -hmm. you know what i mean how can i figure that out um because we all come from different places and i've experienced what you have you know mm -hmm. like i'm not independently wealthy um i couldn't really ask my parents to support me financially i mean i could have i chose not to mm -hmm. um i don't think they would give me a ton of money <laughs> anyways like it's like figure it out like mm -hmm. i'm first generation american they're like yep. you did it you did it yeah you do it like make it happen um and yeah i don't have like a wealthy spouse so right. i've been at all of those places yep. you know and it's fucking hard mm -hmm. and like no one talks about it really openly i think that a lot of those conversations are starting to happen in the community mm -hmm. but like it's hard mm -hmm. and you're pouring so much of yourself out yeah and i think Perhaps for me, that was something that was really hard to acknowledge or, or uh, oh, look yeah. at was like, I love this practice. I love it. Like, and we, we, we teach our students if you really, you know, it's like, if you love it enough, it's going to happen, right? Like, see the vision. It'll, no, truly. And I, it's not like I don't believe that, but I freaking saw the vision and I ended up poor and sleeping on friends' couches because I had no money. And I was like, okay, wait. I is this the like, whole part of the vision? Yeah, like is yeah. this, how did this just happen? Yeah. I, you're, you're told like leap in the universe will catch you. And it did. I mean, I have a community of people that let me sleep on their couches. I wasn't actually homeless. But for eight weeks, I was like, whoa, I'm a 33-year-old woman with a PhD and I am sleeping on couches. That is a humbling experience and I can't get a job. And for eight weeks, I couldn't even get a job. With a PhD, I could not get a job in my field. It took eight weeks for something finally to happen. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, I'm told that like the universe will catch me. I'm told to just see it and believe it and it's gonna happen. And like, nothing's happening right now. And then you have to remember that like, there's seasons for everything. And there was a season for that, right? And it sucked really hard <laughs> and it's over now. Mm -hmm. And like, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, oh my God, the love that, that my friends have for me <laughs> and how grateful I am to just be in relationship with people that are giving and like supportive and um, for like 
yoga studios that were like willing to give me like discount classes because I couldn't even feed myself at that time. You know what I mean? Like there was just, so like the universe really did hold me. I leapt and I may have hit some rocks on the, on the way down, <laughs> but ultimately there was a net there for me. It wasn't the one that I was expecting, right? Like the vision, it like did not happen the way that I thought, but like, what does? So like, that's, that's another thing is like, can you roll, can you roll with it when you feel like you failed? Mm. And what do you do as a teacher when your students come to you and they have, are failing in their life, their perception of failing, you know, right. like in my perception of failing, like you and I've had conversation and you went, and I remember saying, yeah. I feel like I failed. And you were like, Whoa, like, that, you, that's what you feel like you failed. That was a massive impetus for me. And like, I was hoping maybe this would come up because like that to me was mm-hmm. like so courageous for you to say that. Like, I was like, what is the fucking difference between what we're saying about teaching Mm -hmm. and the actual experience of teaching even when we're trying to be real like I feel like Ned and I have tried to be like super real Mm -hmm. about like that but then it was like whoa like she she I was like Sarah feels like she's failing and like what is that what is like how do how do we have more real conversations so that like no one says that to me Mm -hmm. again it's different than what the vision looked like right mm-hmm. but it's like I personally was like I don't if that's failing then like I'm still failing but <laughs> but like I just had to like anyhow that was like a really really big conversation for me like I was like wow failure that's a big word and I think that this is like a thing that a lot of yoga teachers are experiencing well and I think um there's certain as a yoga teacher, there's so, well, first of all, there's so many yoga teachers out there, right? Mm-hmm. And there's lots of really great ones. And like, we're all on the spectrum of like, which, you know, who being appreciated as for the teacher and the skill that you have, like the teacher right. that you are and the skills that you have. And so, um, but we see cert- one of the main ways that we as individual teachers promote ourselves is on social media. We take photos, we take videos, we post, we talk about our process and that's important. I think it's important. Some people are against it, whatever. It's your opinion. (laughs) You do what you do. I'm very much into it. I think it's great. It's a way for me to be vocal about my process. And I just, it's a tool. Exactly. Um, but it's right. It's like, there's like, there's always two sides to it. So one is great because we're out there and we're sharing. But the other thing is that we see people that are really successful with it. And we think like, if I'm not to that, if I don't have 11,000 plus followers, if I don't have 200,000 plus followers on my yoga Instagram, then what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I'm not a good teacher. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, and I think, but I do think it is hard to quote unquote, make it in the yoga world. Like I do think it's not easy. Well, I I, I mean, when I, I remember when Nilla Mase came to um, Tough Love, and he was—he's so funny. He I was like Noah. open about the fact that like he's like a yoga rock star. If there ever was a yoga rock star, I'm doing air quotes. Um, <laughs> he can make all the shapes. He can make all the shapes. Yeah. He travels the world. He uh, is on Yoga Glow. He um, knows so much. And his and he was saying like his reality is like he is relatively humble in the scheme of like people in the world and what is considered financially successful and he's like the top you know what i mean he works really hard really hard and his wife is his manager like it's so interesting to see like Mm -hmm. the behind the scenes like Mm -hmm. when i was managing the studio and like interacting with teachers about that like oh how hard they 
work and like what it takes uh-huh. for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that that's a conversation that definitely doesn't happen very often. Uh, in terms of you're in training and you're learning all the skills you need to be a yoga teacher. And then it's like getting out there and teaching your first class and like taking on a few classes if you get offered any classes and like being creative each week. And so like there's those general challenges of like being a good teacher, being in tune with your class, picking the right songs for the playlist, not picking something that's really jarring, like giving your students an experience (laughs) if that's your thing, theming the classes, like there's so much work. And then to know that you're getting like $5 per student or whatever, it's like $5 a class yeah how much I was making and that if I'm whoa that's really (laughs) but it's like in the beginning of my classes I'm like I had a Monday 9 30 and literally like my she's my friend now Stephanie like only person that would come five dollars and you put so yeah you know if anyone came Mm -hmm. and I spent time driving downtown because I was living at my mom's house because I wasn't making a lot of money in Marietta Mm -hmm. drive downtown in traffic and then 9 30 class to make five dollars yeah. Or no dollars. But you love it so much. Yeah. Right? But you love it. But that, and that, that's kind of crazy. You, right. But no other job. Like, if, like, if I showed crazy. up at my job and they were like, so today we're going to pay you $5. <laughs> and, you, and, like, think about, as a new teacher, how much time you're putting into prepping a class. Mm-hmm. Picking all the poses, practicing them beforehand, picking out the songs, picking the theme, doing the quote. Like, whatever it is you did to prep, I mean, I would put at the beginning... For each class, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like a minimum of two hours prep time, but sometimes more than that. And then, of course, it shortens eventually, but like, I was putting in a lot of time. And if you're teaching six classes a week, and you're putting in two hours of prep for each class, and then you got a part-time job on top of it. Like, yeah. I was working nonstop. Anyway, but the truth, 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 uh, pick a different word. I think yeah, to reality. be, reality, yeah, maybe that's better. It's like, if you really want to be successful, what I observe is like, first of all, you have to, you got to hustle on social media, post like every single day and you've got to have the most beautiful poses and like the best backgrounds and all of that. And, or you've got, you've got to be like an innovator, right? You've got to have like the new technique you've got like, so if, is that something that you want to do as a teacher? Do you want to be an innovator? Do you want to hustle? Like, do you want to be, do you want to be putting out like online content about like like little like teaching like six week teaching courses that you're gonna post online like that's I see lots of teachers doing that kind of stuff like are, is that like is that the direction like there's lots of ways I think you can bring media and yoga together so that you can be financially fruitful but I think if you're just trying to do studio classes mm-hmm. it's probably not gonna happen yeah if if that's your only way of bringing in money. Yoga's not going to support you. Or I can't. I, I haven't seen. I just don't know anyone who only teaches studio classes. Like that's it, and is okay without some other. Or at least if they are, they're taking long, twenty plus. They're teaching. It takes a very long time to at figure the top, out and build high-paying studios. And how many? And, and how many public classes are you maxing out? Like, are you teaching twenty classes a week that get twenty people in a class? Right. Because t- teaching 20 classes a week is a lot. Yeah. Oh, totally. oh yeah, absolutely. Totally. Like, I feel like any more than 10 is like, whoo, or any more than seven is like, well, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 
I feel like it's always good. It's going to have to be supplemented in some way. If you want quality of life and work-life balance, you're going to have to supplement the public classes with something else. Mm -hmm. Whether you offer an online course, whether you do like your own like private yoga, private business, whether you have some other income coming, something. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of goes back to the conversation of like, what is happening within this model? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because like the student, I'm not a studio owner, um, but I know that like studios are putting in a lot of work. And at the time when I was getting that pay rate, that was fair. You know what I mean? Like it was a $10 drop in and I essentially got 50% per Mm -hmm. student. That is way more generous than a lot of studios are doing. Per head didn't work. Mm -hmm. That shifted to some degree within like, Mm -hmm. so it's different now. But that was like pretty generous for 50%. Do you know what I mean? mean, That doesn't happen a lot. Well, and I think the the point to acknowledge is that it's it's not like studios are like raking in the cash either. Right. If it's an independent studio. So then that's an interesting conversation. What What is happening with the independent local studio? versus a more corporate yeah and like what's yes and then it's back to that conversation what makes this possible for the studio do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or like what's the backing what's going on so there's all these like other subtle questions within this bigger business model of being a yoga teacher well and i would ask and this is kind of to the point of what you are up to is where is the support the training the resources to give teachers access to the possibility of supplementing their income. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no, there's no book, there's no guide. Mm-hmm. It's like shoot and miss, shoot and miss, maybe you hit something. Mm-hmm. Um, so where is the training that supports yoga teaching as Rachel puts it as a profession? Yeah. And right now where we are, and literally I spent so much time thinking about this, like, Krishnamacharya coming in, teaching boys in India, that's early 20th century, late 19th century, maybe somewhere in there. That's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And like the model, go ahead. I was just going to say, those t- earlier teachers or like foundational teachers that we still talk about, like, were they living on their own trying to support no. them? No, they so, were living in community, right? Yeah, and they were being supported, right? Exactly. So that happened. Then we get into the West the situation of like studio and model and I know that a lot of original studios the way that it was set up was there wasn't a drop-in class you sign up you sign up for a series and you pay your chunk of money Mm -hmm. whether you come or you don't but every class is kind of a series and then we started to play with the drop-in right so then that changes how people are getting paid but there was also probably the studio owner probably taught all the classes Mm -hmm. right and they were the primary teacher, and there wasn't like a ton of like, oh, here's this flavor and that flavor and this mm-hmm. teacher's thing and that teacher's thing, right? So I don't, this realm that we're in right now with the business model of yoga with like studio, multiple teachers, drop-ins where like maybe the profit margin isn't as high as say someone who commits $150 for a 10 class or five. I don't know mm-hmm. what it would be. Like, we're in uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. So, and I introduce class pass and group right. on. And so, I don't know, like, and that's a big part of what I've been sitting with with my question, like, with what I'm doing with Cultivate Union is like, okay, this is uncharted territory. What could, what is the role that I can create for myself while also acknowledging we are in uncharted territory and like yoga doesn't have a career path in the way that it does to be 
um, a teacher or a doctor. Right. Like, we don't have that. Mm-mm. So, like, how can I realistically, within that container, support a teacher? I don't know. Still figuring it out. But I think thinking about the business model um, is probably, like, it's, like, not sexy to consider. And, like, sorry, yoga students who well, might be listening I, to this. I know. It's, like, bursting your bubble. But, like, this is the reality but, of the situation. Well, and, but, so. Yeah, but, like, maybe you're rea- – but in some degree, like, maybe the – like don't maybe don't be in the bubble. Like you have all these. The yoga teacher path is like entirely nebulous, right? Like Super there, nebulous. it's it's um. There is no straight and narrow. It's like you got to chart it yourself, mm-hmm. and as you're just one per, like you're just one new teacher, and there's a, a million <laughs> new teachers that want to make this their thing. And a million people who want to practice yoga. Yeah. And a bajillions of them that haven't yet. Yeah. What were you going to say? You're about to, I, I totally oh. cut you off. Oh, I was going to say, and I think there's the stigma of talking about it, um, about like people like, oh, well, I don't deal with the business of yoga. And the fact of the matter is if you're in that position where you don't have to deal with the business of yoga, well, then that means you're not dealing with the reality that most yoga teachers are facing every mm-hmm. day conversation um, about privilege. Right, yeah. yeah. So then you are probably... Or like, I'm not... Privileged. Oh, I don't want to talk about money because I'm not in it for the money. But, you know, I wasn't either, but I also had to pay my cell phone bill and I also yeah, had to buy totally. groceries. And so if you're in a position where you're like, oh, I don't need to worry about that, then yeah, you're in some sort of privileged position that you can teach and don't really have to worry about what, what money you're actually bringing in because you're supported in some other way. Yeah. And that's great, but like there's so many people that aren't in that position. Yeah, one of my... I'm like, who said this to me recently? I can't remember. She says, like, I don't teach for free. I teach for freedom. And it just, like, <laughs> 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 I was like, yeah, I teach for freedom, but not for free. Um, yeah. I'm really glad that you did bring it back to the point of there is, I still hold the space that there is opportunity um, to bring more people into the practice of yoga by expanding our the practice of yoga itself, that like that Sarah creates has more. Done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> with your circles. Oh, okay. I'm like, wait. Sorry. Where no, are we going with this? No, no. I'm just. I'm like, like literally exactly what you're talking about. Where it was like you were doing this thing, the things were happening, mm-hmm. but it wasn't happening the way that you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then you said, "Okay, how can I offer?" But also like being fucking responsible hmm. which like i could probably consider that right now <laughs> you know what i mean but it's like you created something that worked for you yeah well you so know s- like, something yeah. i can also say about that is like okay so there was a reality check moment i had to i had to get a full-time job that was not yoga and get myself back on a better like more stable path so that ultimately i could thrive in my life and all the ways mm-hmm. that i want to thrive mm-hmm. creating the circle um, the creative circle that I did was so much a movement of the heart because financially, like I'm not, I'm really not doing it for the money. Um, m- meaning that like I put a ton of time into it and I, I do charge money for the event, but like ultimately like the amount of time that I put in does not equal the amount of money that's actually coming in after like all the things are get paid that need to get paid to facilitate this thing. But what I was going to say is that like, it's very much just like, it's, it's a movement of passion. It's a movement of the heart. You know, I could have just taken that job that I have, that I still have and just be like, okay, I'm good. Like financially, I'm good and I'm going to go to my practice every day because I'm committed to my, my, my personal daily practice and I'm not going to do the yoga thing anymore at all. 
I could have done that, but I didn't. And actually for me, I couldn't. Like there's such a level of commitment to this process and part of it that just like, I truly believe lives inside me that I am like compelled, compelled from, from a place that I don't necessarily have control over to constantly be offering the yoga in some way, whether it's asana or whether it's meditation encircled or whether it's something completely different. There's something that lives in me that goes like, somehow this is your path, even if it's not looking like you want it to look or wanted it to look when you started on this, when you took on, when you stepped into your like first day of training and said like, I think I'm gonna do this teaching thing. Um, and I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but I know for me, there's like a such, a, like literally like I can't not do it. If I stop this project, something else would replace it because my heart just goes like, you need to do this in some way. Something in here just like wants to be in that role and take, take that on. And so I just wonder if there's other teachers that are feeling the same way going like, okay, I hear you, you're, you're giving me a bit, you're bursting my bu bubble, you're giving me a big reality check, but I really wanna do it still. So like, yeah, still do it, like for sure, still do it. But just figure out, figure out the right combination mm -hmm. of things to make it work for you. What's the quality of life you want? Are you okay, you know, scraping by financially? Or do you need to ask help? Do you need to get a part-time job? Do you like, there's something else that's gonna have to come in there. That's all I'm gonna offer that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for myself, there's real, and the real thing I've said is like, okay, when I turn 30, I'm gonna have to, I have to evaluate, now I'm 30. I remember That's you telling me that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not at the place financially where I would feel super secure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there is like, well, do I keep going? Or what does this look like? Or mm -hmm. evaluating where I am versus where I've been, because there's definitely growth and shift and change mm -hmm. and making this sustainable, but not to the point to where I need it to be, where I have like a savings for my retirement. And then there's like other things, like I'm engaged, I'm a partner and like, how do we create our life together? You know what I mean? So, but um, shit, there was something you said specifically that I was like, oh, I wanted to say something. Darn. Finding the balance that makes it work. No, I like that part. <laughs> well, there's something you said about being compelled. This is it. Oh, yes. okay. So, it's, I mean, even years ago when I was teaching, I was like, I do not want to be 55 teaching, like, the way that I'm teaching now. Mm. I don't. <laughs> but I know that I still want to be teaching. And that's part of, like, I think what you're talking about. Mm. Like, knowing that, like, is this going to look like the way that does now? Definitely not. But like, do I, would I be so bummed if I was like 55 and I wasn't doing this? Yes. Yeah. So I know it's like really, really, really important mm -hmm. to me how that shapes, how that, you know, happens in 25 years. I don't know. Um, so when I was recently in Guatemala, I went down there for a women's festival. And on one of the days, there was a, uh, a Mayan shaman that came and talked to us. Cool. And he was talking about the process by which he actually came into the role that he currently plays in his community. And basically what he said is that there are uh, spiritual leaders or elders in the community that can sort of sense what your gift is. And that gift was given to you by like the cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you can't have the gift that I have, yeah, you know, like, like Dharma. Right, so it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the concept of Dharma, but the idea is like, you don't get to pick your gift, mm -hmm. 
you don't get to pick someone else's gift. Like, I like that thing better. I want to have it. Like, can I just go do that thing? Like, in their com- yeah, or, or like, I just enjoy it better or it looks more exciting to me. Yeah. It's like, no, you were born with this skill set, with this gift. Mm-hmm. And there's an elder in the community that essentially like identifies that for you. And then it's like confirmed by someone else. Okay. But it's, but once you have, like, that's your thing to offer the world, to offer your community. And I bring that up because it popped into my mind as I reflect on my own self and go, currently I'm working this full-time job where it's using a skill that I have from being in grad school for so long and I'm good at it and, it, and it's supporting me. And yet there's this compelling inside of me that is constantly seeking to be the teacher, always. And I don't even try to do it. Like it just happens. Like I'll just talk about something and someone will go like, that's great. Let's talk like, 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 let's do that. And all of a sudden now it's happening. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even try to, didn't even try to do that. You know, like I just brought up an idea or like, hey, I had a weird thought. And they're like, yes, let's do this book club. And then somehow I'm in the teaching role again. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me to recognize that when I was in teacher training th- three, four years ago, whatever it is now, I went like this, this hits home. This feels right. This is my dharma. This is the thing I'm supposed to do. I can feel that. And even I was trying to be a teacher in like, as a professor, like mm-hmm. recognizing that your dharma is trying to be lived through you and is perhaps always trying to, to the extent that you're listening, it's always trying to be lived through you again, to the extent given your circumstances that you can really engage that. But even if I'm not teaching asana right now, and I like, I'm doing this other job, it's still trying to live through me in even like in unpaid things, like I'm involved in like a spiritual like discussion group and somehow I've ended up in like a facilitator role or something. Even though I'm not the facilitator, it's it's coming out. And I'm I'm like trying to like push it down because I'm like, <laughs> I am not the facilitator. I am just a participant. Just be in conversation. And then somehow it's like questions are being asked and I'm like, oh, I'm here again. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting that you say that because I mean, when I was little, I would be the teacher and I dreamed about being a school teacher and mm-hmm. my mom was a school teacher but I loved like I remember trying to teach my little brother math when I was like five or something something super weird mm-hmm. and like yeah so there's like all these ways that we can look back and reflect on what's the common mm-hmm. thread mm-hmm. but we can't look forward right and try to figure it out we just have to live into it mm-hmm. and engage with it yeah yeah well I really appreciate you sharing your personal experience because I, it's so real. Um, I also, you both have that compelling to be the teacher. And for me, I went through yoga teacher training thinking I wanted to be a teacher. And the reality is it's, it was never that like light me on fire feel Mm. for me. And I did the whole run around town, teach everything, say yes. And there were sometimes I was really good at it. And there were sometimes that I was really depleted, but I never had that like Dharma calling within me, but I felt like I should. And so I kept on doing this, like I should, I should, I should be doing this because I felt like to be a part of the yoga community that I should be a yoga teacher. Yeah, that I needed to be the teacher because that was like, that's also the path that's kind of laid out. It's like Mm -hmm. you go to class, you want to learn more, you become a teacher, you go to teacher training. Um, Which I think is a massive disservice to students. And that's another thing that I'm very curious about creating mm. because I don't, I don't think that it's 
That's again the model, yeah, right? That's so that the model. more comes from the business of yoga model versus like what can actually be an offering with yoga and how you can grow with yeah. it as a practice. Well, and I will say this: the thing. <laughs> I like that you're whispering. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, but the thing I will say: the thing that I think was really valuable out of teacher training, even for someone who's not a teacher, is the ability to learn how to teach yourself. Mm, Because that is a skill that um, will serve you even as you continue to learn or if you find yourself traveling and need to be able to trust yourself in your practice. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that is very valuable for people. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it I'm shouldn't... Right, 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 right. Is bad. Right, it's right. a bummer that it's the only exactly. accessible, quote-unquote, next step exactly. beyond a group class. I totally yeah. agree. That's yeah. what I think is a bummer. Yeah. Not teacher training. <laughs> Love teacher training. Great. Right. And that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, even if you don't want to be a teacher, I think you should do teacher training because mm-hmm. because of that right mm-hmm. there. You'll learn how to teach yourself and... Um, be there for yourself and discover yourself um, and learn how to learn from your teachers better even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, thank you for sharing your experience because I think um, it's something that's not shared a lot. I, I feel like I recently quit teaching for the second time mm-hmm. and I, I felt like a failure. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like I failed at teaching. I'm not a good teacher, which, you know, at the end of the day, what I feel passionate about is supporting the yoga community and mm-hmm. being involved in it and having mm-hmm. these conversations yeah. and creating mm-hmm. more experiences for more people to continue down their path, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a big lover of personal stories, not just me telling my own, but I love, like there's such power in hearing like the details, like, you know, you can sit and have coffee with someone and you can ask them some questions and you like, you can get into it, you know, but, um, there's, but usually it's a, it's a back and forth. Like, Oh, that happened to, that happened to you. That happened to me too. And so you're doing that thing and it doesn't necessarily have an opportunity to go really deep versus when you ask someone and say like, I really want to hear how you came to this place and you get all the backstory. Uh, and there's just such power in hearing personal, personal journeys. Um, because we're all, we're all walking some path. And, you know, I feel like just listening to someone's journey is sort of like metaphorically holding their hand as you're walking the journeys. We're, we're walking similar, you know, we're walking together. And I really just like that. Um, and the importance of like, people just need to be heard, like the honor, honor the steps that you've taken so far. And I think that in itself is, is encouragement. You know, just like listening. Mm-hmm. Just like being the active listener. Yeah. But to your point, um, what's another way that a student can deepen their practice aside from going into teacher training, right? Like, I, I, I think that that is... Going to my home practice workshop. No, <laughs> <laughs> no totally. But, but I also think, like, for me, um, I have... I but just you're not kidding. <laughs> no, not at all. So, uh, I'm getting it, like, what, actually responds to that question. But also a little plug, little plug for the home practice workshop that Rachel's offering. Um, but, or, but even, like, understanding, like, the... Um, the textual background, like, yeah. like the Yoga Sutras, like yeah. the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, like, what, what is Kirtan and what is the Sanskrit thing and like all the things you end up learning in training. But like, why do I have to pay three thousand dollars and sign up for six months? Like, can there just be like a shortened version of that where I like, you know, like, 
a couple Sundays of like one, you know, something where it's almost like a le- lecture series, but mm-hmm. it's not training. I'm not becoming a teacher, but I just kind of want to learn about this thing that I show up to five days a week. Right. I want to know where it came from. I want to learn about the classical and then I want to learn about the tantric and I want to, why am and... I doing what I'm doing? Where did this come from? But I don't want to be a teacher and I don't want to commit that. You know, it's like if I'm a person that wants to understand more without just going off on my own, mm-hmm. which right. of course I could do. And what you just said is like even beyond the asana, right? So it's like, how can I learn about this beyond oh, yeah. asana? And and they're like, oh, there's eight limbs? Oh, there's other ways to do yoga besides mm-hmm. body movement? Oh. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really beautiful about formerly Anusara but still shows up is like there was an immersion. I never did this, but that was the model. You do a 100-hour immersion and then you do a 100-hour teacher training. But like immersion is just for you. And it's like oh. in three parts, or maybe four parts, but okay. weekend format, like a teacher mm-hmm. training, which maybe that's also not feasible for a lot of people. So there's a lot of wiggle room in this mm-hmm. model about how we change like time commitments. But yeah, you did a 100-hour immersion where you dive into your philosophy. You would learn some of the principles of alignment and stuff in your own personal practice, but nothing about, tre- nothing about teaching mm-hmm. at all. So, it's just education. Mm-hmm. It's offering. It's it's content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. Well, no, I like that idea. Yeah, I would show up for that mm-hmm. because I, even though I learned it, like that was how many years ago, and like I don't, I'm and not. There's still more too. I'm you not. Know, you learned I'm not, this much. You know, Let's, and you're it. you're at a different place. The teachers are at a different place. Totally. And I don't go to bed every night reading the Upanishads. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's I not do. what's happening. I was envisioning it in my mind and I'm like, just me with a pillow. Like, yeah, we're really just like, uncomfortable for your neck. But yeah, that's actually something I would love if that existed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you that eye. <laughs> okay. So oh, cool. This is fun. Yeah. yeah. So I will probably not have the podcast edited by the time you say this, but um, when is your next moon circle? Or what? The they happen moon on circle. the new moon. Right? On the new moon circle. They happen on the Saturday oh. that's closest to the new moon, and they are only for women or female-identified people. So just that's a qualifier for that. It's not that I couldn't offer it for everyone, but I have a specific intention to create offerings for women yes. to really cultivate that feminine energy. Um and there's something really powerful about women communing in circle because women are um, very connected to the mother. And um, there's something that's really special about that. Uh, and the moon is the fe- like the sun is masculine, moon is feminine. And so there's a very much connection there. But um, the next one, I don't know, it's in two weeks because tomorrow is the full moon. And so the moon cycles in two yeah, weeks. So this, yeah, this stuff. Right, this so I can tell you well, it's on the 25th of March. <laughs> When is the, well, how can people find you so they yes. can keep up with the That's a good question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm on both Instagram and Facebook at Wild Moon Women, and it's all one word, no spaces, no dots or anything. Wild Moon Women. Yep. Cool. And I post lots of stuff on there all the time. Do you so. want to share your personal or no? Oh, sure. It's um, it's just my name. It's Sarah Kavrak, and it's Sarah with an H, and so it's S-A-R-A-H-C-A-V-R-A-K. Cool. Yep. Yay. and you post such good stuff oh thank you I love your posts I really enjoy it I'm always like like when you're talking about social media I'm like I just 
can't get my shit together, but um, I love your posts. They're Thank so you. Uh, you know, I work really, I actually, that's like one of the thing I put a lot of effort into is having good content, whether it's my personal. Yeah, that makes me feel better. Cause I'm like, is she just like whipping this out? And like, she thought about it for three minutes. No, I actually put a like, lot, I put a lot of thought into the social media. And it's mostly because I observe what other people do and I'm like, what do I like? What do I think works? And for me, it's a creative outlet. Mm -hmm. It's like that for me, like it's very much a like the feminine creativity because I'm not an artist. Like I can't paint. I cannot draw. If I took a class, I'm sure that I could, but it's not a natural gift that comes out of me. But words tend to be more natural to me. So I like to write. Mm -hmm. And um, so I consider like my Wild Moon Women page more of a curation. Mm -hmm. Like I, I find like I kind of sample from other people if I like it. And then, of course, I create my own with like some photos that I took or whatever or had people take. But um, I kind of look at it as like, you know, if someone owns an art gallery and they curate the content that they bring in, I kind of feel the same way. It's like, I'm just curating. What kind of energy? What, kind, what do I want people to feel whenever they look at my page? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like and so I try to create that. expression. Exactly. Cool. Sweet. But, it, but like, I think about it a lot. <laughs> okay. Explore. Also comforting. <laughs> well, thank you for thank you. sharing thank so openly yeah. and like really going to these places that like, oh no. Absolutely. Happy yeah. to.